May I make a recommendation? Maybe. I'm scared is what you're going to say. When the Prius goes, when our car dies, (laughs) how about we don't get the Batmobile? No, I'm going to campaign for it real hard. It's going to happen. All right. I will strategize for how to mitigate that at some point in the future. (laughs) Welcome to Pennies and Popcorn show about real money lessons from the world of TV and movies. With your hosts, Carla Cash and Robert Davidson, a couple of personal finance geeks and movie lovers. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today. This is going to be an interesting episode because I am super jazzed about this movie and Robert is extremely butthurt that we are even doing this movie. I want three hours of my life back and I want them now. (laughs) So today's episode is on the recent release, The Batman. Obviously, there have been a number of Batman movies throughout history, but this is the one that just came out in, I think, just February of 2022. It's a super recent release. We're recording this in April of 2022. So I really liked the movie. I thought it was dark and gritty. Also, I grew up watching Batman. My brother and I were always super, super into Batman. I may or may not have had a little crush on Robin throughout the whole course of my childhood. But yeah, Batman was like a big piece of my childhood. And that is just not the case for you. And you are so not into this. No, the Batman franchise does nothing for me. Nothing at all. The only movie that I really enjoyed out of the, the ones I have seen, I like The Joker. I thought that was really good. Uh, well done. Interesting story. The Dark Knight was okay. I thought it was all right. I tolerated The Dark Knight. But man, The Batman? Oh, so long. So growly and impossible to understand <laughs> and enjoy. Just like the worst audio, terrible video. It's just like dark. You can't even see what's going on the whole time. It's It's miserable. It was dark. Okay, okay, first of all, I can't let this go by. It's not the Joker, Robert. It's just Joker. This is the Batman, but Joker was just Joker. They dropped the the. It was cleaner that way. In any event, you're right. This is a super dark movie. I was actually reflecting back on it, and I'm pretty sure... This is a really long movie. It is just under three hours. And throughout that whole three hours, I don't remember anyone smiling. Maybe Alfred, he's like the nicest character He maybe like did a little half smile at some point, but no one smiles for three solid hours, which is kind of crazy. It is an extremely dark movie, both literally like the screen is very often dark gray and black, but also in tone. It's it's a very like film noir kind of feel to it. Well, I recognize I'm in the minority. If Batman was as dumb as I thought it is, there wouldn't be so many movies made all the time, and this one wouldn't be so successful. I think they spent about $200 million making the movie, and as mm-hmm. of around the end of April, they'd, they'd grossed about $760 million at the box office. So it was a good business decision by the, the production studio to put this together. But man, I do I have to do another three-hour one of these ever in the future again? Yeah, I'm going to make you do this on like a quarterly basis. This is going to be great. I'm actually really not a huge fan of superhero movies in general. You and I do have that much in common. But Batman is an exception for me. Spider-Man a little bit too. I'm, I'm kind of more into Spider-Man. But Batman has my heart. Like, I just, I loved it as a kid and still think it's such a fun story today. And it's just like, he is the most relatable superhero, right? Because he's not, 
supernatural at all. He's just a dude and his superpower is having lots of money. So it makes for a good pennies and popcorn episode because today we are going to dig deep into what it actually cost to be Batman, how much money we think the Wayne family actually had. So it's going to be a fun episode. Stick around. The cast in the movie at least was good. There was Robert Pattinson. I thought they were going to take Batman down some sort of like vampire twist. <laughs> uh, also, Poor um, Robert Pattinson. He'll never live down Twilight. I actually think he's a really great actor. He's so much more than Twilight. Well, I couldn't tell that it was him, really. If, if I didn't know that it was him playing the role, I wouldn't have guessed. I just thought it was somebody who had trouble speaking uh, clear, intelligible English as, <laughs> as the actor. It's not that bad. Uh, I did think Paul Dano did a good job playing the Riddler. Um, not the same as Jim Carrey's portrayal of the Riddler. I thought oh that was gosh. quite a bit different. Could not possibly be more different than Jim Carrey. Batman Forever was so campy. I liked it because I just thought it was fun and ridiculous. Chris O'Donnell may or may not have had something to do with it. But yeah, I was a fan of the whole like campy Batman movies too. But I do love the darker, more realistic, much grittier turn that they've taken lately. I think it's it's much more they're much more like quality cinema movies now than they than they used to be. Agree to disagree. Um, I did think that Colin Farrell playing the Penguin did a good job. I didn't oh know gosh. it was Colin Farrell in that part until someone talked to me about it. The other, like I was talking to a friend the other day and he mentioned it and I, I had no idea. Yeah, he just, I mean, I had no idea it was Colin Farrell either until I was researching it afterwards. But he did a great job. There's a, a, a few like really cool celebrities who make cameos. Peter Sarsgaard shows up at some point. So yeah, it's... It's a great cast. The The leads are Paul Dano as the Riddler, Robert Pattinson as Batman, and Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman. The three of them did a phenomenal job. Paul Dano, especially Little Miss Sunshine is one of my all-time favorite movies, and Paul Dano does a superb job in that. And of course, There Will Be Blood. So I've been a, a big fan of Paul Dano's for a long time, and this is no exception. He really knocks it out of the park as the Riddler. So do you have any fun facts you want to share about the Batman movie? Um, don't watch it. <laughs> Just save your time. No, my fun fact was that at about the quarter mark of the movie, I just realized that there was still a movie and a half left to go, and <laughs> I wanted it to be over. Pennies and popcorn fans, I understand if you don't want to listen to this episode. It just... Man, it's tough content. That's my. That's the most fun fact I can bring to the Batman. Who doesn't want to know how much it costs to be Batman? I, think I that am is a curious super about fun that. Question. No, this I, is going to be great. I do want to learn the things we're going to talk about, but my fun fact is: don't watch this movie. Like, go, <laughs> go watch White Men Can't Jump Again or something. So, so I will say, I think we're going to be relatively spoiler-free in this episode. We might reveal like a few minor plot points, but nothing that will spoil the overall arc of the movie. So yeah, if, if you haven't seen it yet, don't be turned off. You can still listen to this and then watch the movie later. So I have um, just a couple fun facts that I thought are great. I'll try to put on a brave face. Okay. So first of all, did you know that the original idea for the Batcave was inspired by this sort of urban legend, which may or may not be true, that underneath the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York, there is an abandoned train station down there that someone thought would make like a perfect bat cave. So that's where the idea for the bat cave was born, which I thought was pretty cool. I've been lucky enough to stay at the Waldorf Astoria on a few work trips in the past. And 
I can just picture there being like a super rundown train station down there. So it's kind of cool to think about that. Second fun fact. This one's better. So people who had played Catwoman and Batman in the past like reached out to these current actors who are playing them in this movie, Zoe Kravitz and Robert Pattinson. I think specifically Michelle Pfeiffer, who's played Catwoman in the past, reached out to Zoe Kravitz and um, Christian Bale reached out to Robert Pattinson and they both gave them the same piece of advice on playing these characters. Can you guess what that advice might have been? I I don't know how to say anything. That's just not such a downer on this. You know, be as angry and, and you know, grumpy as you can be as you film this movie. Now, maybe it's to just be careful and not let the, the character that you're playing take over your identity in the real world. No, it's far more practical and less cerebral than that. They told them to make sure that the costume designers gave them a way to go to the bathroom while they were in their costumes. <laughs> because these costumes are so skin tight. It takes so long to get in and out of them that these poor actors are often stuck like, I got to go to the bathroom. I've been in this suit for hours. Can somebody get me out of this thing? So that was a very practical piece of advice that they were given. That is a fun fact. I agree. I agree. Thank you for that. Okay. So I think we should go ahead and dive right into our first clip. We don't need to give a plot summary for those people who don't know what Batman's about. I mean, if you don't know what Batman's about, where have you been? Like what is going on in your life? So... There's yeah, the plot summary is basically not necessary. It's the story of Bruce Wayne, who is a billionaire. We're gonna get into how much money he has. Um, and he's trying to save Gotham City from bad guys. It's pretty much it in a nutshell. So yeah, let's jump into our first clip. This is one of the few mentions that has been in like the prominent Batman movies about how much money Bruce Wayne has and how much it's hurting him to actually spend all this money on being Batman. So let's take a listen. Our accounting friends at Wayne Enterprises are coming for breakfast. Here? Why? Because I couldn't get you to go there. I haven't got time for this. It's getting serious, Bruce. If this continues, it won't be long before you've nothing left. I don't care about that. Any of that. You don't care about your family's legacy? What I'm doing is my family's legacy. If I can't change things here, I can't have an effect. I don't care what happens to me. So is he really running out of money? It's such an interesting question. So Batman has been around since I think the early 1930s. So it's this is a character that has had a near infinite number of storylines, right? It's not like Lord of the Rings or something where you can go to like one source material and say, This is the plot of Batman. There's been so many different offshoots, comic books, animated series, movies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, like ad infinitum. So it is impossible to say how much money Wayne Enterprises, the Wayne family company, actually has because it varies a lot between different storylines. On the low end, it's generally written that The Wayne family has like $9 billion. That's billion with a B. So like in the 1930s, they had $9 billion? No, I think that was a much later storyline. Okay. Um, I will say the world's first billionaire, do you know who it was and when he had a billion dollars? Um, I don't. Could it be one of like the the turn of the century, like early 1900s 
barons of something, whether it was steel or oil or banking or something like that? Yeah, it was Rockefeller. And I think in 1916, he became the world's first billionaire with just a single billion dollars, which is now like just a paltry sum. It's so silly. Um, So yeah, we're going to talk a little bit more about real world billionaires, but going back to the bat universe, um, on the high end, the amount that's been written that the Wayne family had was a hundred billion dollars, which would put them in like very rarefied air. Like there's only a couple of people who have more than that in the real world today. So either way you slice it, anytime you're into the billions with a B, you're talking about a stupid amount of money that is like way more than enough to be Batman as we're going to talk about. Okay. Well, that's how much money he has. So he's certainly doing very well relative to the rest of the world. But what does it cost to be Batman? I mean, it's just like a cape and a mask. So I think we should talk about this on a spectrum. What what would it cost to be a vigilante in the purest sense of the word without any like fancy gadgets? And then what does it cost to be like the fanciest vigilante possible, which is pretty much Batman, right? So you could be a vigilante by going to your local thrift store and picking up some kind of a mask to cover your face for probably like a buck and maybe a used baseball bat. And you could walk around trying to stop criminals with nothing but these tools to your name and maybe some training and fighting of some sort. But like, that's about it. That's all it would really take to be a vigilante in the absolute bare essentials, bottom of the barrel kind of mode. You know, this just dawned on me, but how does Batman pull this off, right? Like, I've lived for a few decades now, and I've never witnessed a substantial amount of crime or a bunch of criminals that I could just go follow after. You say all you need is a mask and a a bat, uh, but don't you also need to be able to find the criminals and, and somehow take advantage of it? Like, how do you actually become a vigilante? Like, where do you go hang out to find all of these opportunities to leverage your skills to make the world a better place? This is a good question. And now I'm thinking of Batman in the sense of like a baseball Batman. With So I feel like Batman should carry a baseball bat from time to time, just because that would be pretty great. But you're right. You would have to hang out in pretty nasty crime-ridden areas. And actually one of the lead articles on CNN this morning was about how they're having like a really serious spike in crime in New York City. Like, I think robberies were up 47% or something in the last few months. So maybe if you were wandering around New York City, which of course is kind of the real world analog of Gotham City, right? Then I'm sure you could come across some criminals at some point if you wandered around for long enough in dark alleys like Batman does. But the crime, however prevalent it is, is nowhere in America at least prevalent enough that you can just walk the streets and reliably expect to see someone in like a dangerous situation. So we're very fortunate in that sense. You're right. All right. I'll apologize for my sidebar. We can assume that poor vigilante just needs a bus pass to get to the crime. Yeah, there we go. We're just going to suspend reality in a lot of ways to be Batman fans. So let's talk about what it would cost this real Batman, not baseball Batman, to be a vigilante in the very extreme, super high-tech way that he does it. So in all of the Batman movies, he's always got some really, really fancy 
vehicles of various types and really fancy gadgets. In fact, there's a great line in one of the earlier Batman movies where Jack Nicholson plays the Joker, where he sees him in, I think, one of, one of the Batplanes, and Jack Nicholson looks at it and he says, where does he get those wonderful toys? And it's it's true, right? Like, they're they're pretty great little gadgets and fancy things that, that Batman has that are fun to, to watch on screen. So there is a guy, his name is Thaddeus Howes, who has written an article for Gizmodo where he tries to estimate what it would cost to have all these, quote, wonderful toys. And they are not cheap, but I do think that this guy is maybe overestimating things a little bit. So his estimate of what it costs to be Batman overall is, what's your guess? Do you have a guess? Um, I'm going to guess, so he's got the Batmobile, he's got his armor, I don't know, 10 million bucks? Oh no. <laughs> this guy's estimate is $682,450,750. It's pretty specific. Um, I no longer trust the estimating skills of this guy. Why would you give $750 rounded to the nearest $50? Like what, yeah, what if he, what if he breaks a shoelace? I mean, do we need to add money for that? Reasonably specific. No question. So let's kind of walk through the breakdown of the $682 million. Okay. Fire away. So his estimate is that the Batmobile would cost $18 million with all of its fancy accoutrements 18 million even not 18 million and 137 dollars robert don't be ridiculous it's just an even 18 million okay um his estimate for the bat pod which is kind of like the bat cycle the motorcycle which in just like the batmobile can turn its wheels 90 degrees and go sideways if it needs to which is is pretty cool you gotta admit that is estimated to cost about 1.5 million dollars do you think that's an ev Oh, okay. No, I do not. But I will say that I looked this up too. There is actually an EV electric vehicle version of a Batmobile that you can buy for just $35,000. Now it's not going to turn its wheels 90 degrees or like, is it just like a go-kart fire, (laughs) but no, it's like a legit electric vehicle car and you can buy it for 35 K. That is a real thing. Okay. Um, may I make a recommendation? Maybe I'm scared is what we're going to say. When the Prius goes, when our car dies, (laughs) how about we don't get the Batmobile? No, I'm going to campaign for it real hard. It's going to happen. All right. I will strategize for how to mitigate that at some point in the future. (laughs) So yeah, that's the estimate for the Batmobile on the Bat cycle. A Bat plane, which usually is portrayed as an amphibious vehicle, it can turn into a bat boat when necessary, (laughs) um, is estimated to be about $60 million, which doesn't sound too crazy to me. That sounds like not that nice of a plane. I mean, yeah. Well, it's small. It's a little one-seater. Maybe a two-seater for when Robin shows up. Be still my heart. Um, Yeah, it's that doesn't sound crazy for an amphibious plane that has lots of gadgets built in. I'm, I'm doing some mental math, and I feel like you're... 600 million short. I'm not done. Okay. Hold your horses. Well, those sound like the big expenses. <laughs> those are those are a lot of the big ones. So he also estimates that the bat suit alone would cost about like $1.1 million. That's believable. And guess where a full 1 million of that 1.1 million goes? Um, 
in the junk area. <laughs> Lord, you're such a guy. <laughs> no, it is a custom graphite cowl, basically the mask that he wears. Well, the whole thing is about one million. It's bulletproof, right? It well, maybe not completely, but largely bulletproof. Yeah, it's made out of Kevlar and graphite, which are fairly expensive materials. Although we'll, I've posted a link to this in the show notes so you can go and check it out. There's like a little diagram he has of how much each piece of the armor would cost. And it's surprisingly inexpensive except for the cowl, which is very expensive. But of, of interesting note, I did see people talking about this on the internet who are saying, that's really stupid. Why would you spend so much to make a bulletproof mask? Because the impact of the bullet can't be stopped by that material. Just the penetration of the bullet can be stopped. And if you're having that much force from the bullet into your head, you're, like your skull is going to crack and you're going to be like a big pile of mush inside of your fancy bulletproof cowl anyway. So like, what's the point? Just go with rubber and accept the fact that you might get killed in this line of work. Well, hold on. I mean, isn't there some kind of padding like... Like you'd see in a football helmet or something like that inside of it. I, I don't. I mean, first we should say this is all fictional. So, like, <laughs> who the f knows? But it doesn't appear to have a bunch of padding in the movie. Like, it looks kind of head shaped. It doesn't. It's not like sticking out a foot from his head, right? So it appears to be pretty form fitting. Not a lot of padding going on. But yeah. I mean, the impulse is going to be relevant to the the distance that it travels while it loses its speed. Yeah, that's true. If it was from far enough away, it would probably do a lot to help you out, but, you know. Well, well no, I mean, like, the amount of padding, right? How how spread out it is, how, how long it takes for it to slow down. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. But I don't know. We are not bulletproof mask designers. No. Our ability to, to wax poetic on this is fairly limited. Not going to be a second career for me. No, thank you. Not going to be a second career for me either. So I think... All I can do is say, it seems like that's a little bit high and probably these people on the internet are right that he's overspending on the mask because he might be screwed anyway if he's getting shot at close range Okay. with a powerful enough gun. Still plus or minus 600 million off. Yep. Here we go. Okay. Last small ticket item is the education and training that it takes to be Batman. So the estimate for that is about $1.75 million, according to this guy who wrote the Gizmodo article. I think that is wildly crazy. And as I've already said, there's not like one true canon for all of Batman lore. But usually Bruce Wayne is portrayed as having gone on this big trek, I think typically to Asia, where he like studies from these martial arts masters and lives in abject poverty and leaves all of his wealth behind. He does not appear to be spending any money on his training. Like he's working at these places for his keep and for his training. So it seems like he got his education more or less for free. Now, maybe he went to college when he was younger before becoming Batman, but that seems like a crazy high estimate to me. You don't need to have gotten a PhD from Harvard to be Batman. It seems like you just need martial arts training. We did an episode on the Olympics not that long ago, and I don't think we concluded that it took $1.75 million to win a gold medal in judo. No, we did not. We did not conclude that because it would be crazy. That's That just seems like off the charts insane to me. I don't know where that guy was getting that number, but we respectfully disagree with you, sir. So also it makes me think of that line from Goodwill Hunting about you're dropping like a few hundred thousand dollars on an education from Harvard that you could have gotten for a buck fifty in late charges at your library. 
which also feels true. Like he probably needs some, some basic medical training in case of medical emergencies. He's likely to get hurt out in the field or, you know, one of his partners is likely to get hurt when he's working with someone like Robin or Catwoman. Does Gotham not have hospitals? You can't show up at a hospital. They're going to unmask you, Robert. It's terrible. It's a oh, real risk. My mistake. Anyway, he probably needs like some basic medical training. But again, he probably could have done that for dramatically less than $1.75 million. So I don't like that number. Okay. We're still short about 600 mil, right? Yeah. I'm waiting for... You're giving me smaller and smaller know, pieces at this point. So here comes the big one. The estimate for what it would cost to build and maintain both Wayne Manor and the Batcave and have security, like super, super tight security for all of it is $600 million. So there's the elephant that's making up the huge bulk of this estimate of what it costs to be Batman is $600 million. Why do you need Wayne Manor? I mean, this is his house. Yep. That's a great question. And the answer to it is you don't. Like, couldn't you just get some like piece of commercial property somewhere and have a big hangar or a big, you know, warehouse where you store all your equipment? How much security do you really need? Get insured. I mean, <laughs> I don't, I don't understand why you would need all that extra security or what the value, and maybe I don't know enough about Batman's history and all the different movies, but I don't understand what he's getting out of the Batcave beyond a garage. Yeah, it's pretty much just a real A garage cool and an office, garage. maybe? Yeah. I mean, he always has his like, super high-tech computers in there. And those are part of the estimate, too. That's These are all like little, the little things that we're leaving out. One thing I thought was interesting is the cost of one grappling hook gun is estimated to be $50,000, which is pretty steep. That's the gun or for the hook itself? That's the gun. How much does a grappling bullet cost? Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, I mean, that's one of his most useful tools, and you have to imagine he's losing them fairly regularly. So, yeah, 50K for, for one grappling hook gun seems like a lot. But I think you're exactly right. Like, it would not be necessary to have the super fancy house, the super fancy cave, and, like, have all these accoutrements that are cost, costing so much money. And in fact, it would probably be a lot better for his secret identity for him to live like a super super low profile because it always seems wacky to me that people are not going huh it must cost a lot to be batman huh we've got like one super duper wealthy guy (laughs) in gotham city at least as far as i can tell i wonder if there's some kind of connection there no yeah it would i mean he was born into this famously wealthy family so it would have been hard for him to like disappear into into obscurity and still stay in Gotham, I think. But yeah, it does seem like it would be a lot easier for somebody to keep a really, really low profile, live in some like super modest, you know, apartment or house, and then just have a commercial warehouse, like you said, where they keep all their stuff. So, well, I think your Gizmodo estimator has probably left out ongoing operation and maintenance type costs, you know, replacement of stuff as it wears out and ages. But at the same time, if we take his ludicrously high number of almost $700 million and compare it to our low-end estimate of Batman's family wealth of $9 billion, he's fine. He could totally be Batman. I feel like in the world today, if you have enough money to be like the sole owner of a professional sports franchise, you could be Batman. Yeah, I agree. It would not take nearly as much as this guy estimates. And you could pull it off with... I mean astronomical wealth by any realistic measure, but not Elon Musk. So 
So Elon Musk has $219 billion of net worth. That's one of the recent estimates that I saw. And he famously just acquired Twitter for, I think, $44 billion. So that's a pretty small fraction of his overall wealth that he's able to just go drop at the drop of a hat. He could fund a lot of Batman with that money. He could make so many Batmans. He could be Batman like several hundred times over. So, yeah, I think it's interesting to to look at this with kind of a, a real-world perspective. So if you're Elon Musk and you have $219 billion, to kind of put that in perspective, there are 7.9 billion people in the world today. So he could give everyone $27, not a huge sum of money, but like $27 from each person on Earth adds up to a lot. And he would still have like $5.5 billion left over for himself at that point. So it is quite the large sum of money. So you're saying he could fund everyone being an individual bat, baseball Batman? <laughs> yes. He could make everyone on Earth a baseball Batman. Nice. And yeah, we would have a lot of vigilantes going around. So... Yeah, it's it's a lot of money. He's obviously the richest person in the world. I doubt Bruce Wayne is the richest person in this fictional world, but it's a heck of a lot and it goes a really long way. So in the financial independence community, people often talk about the 4% rule. If you want to have enough money to cover your expenses, you should have 25 times your annual expenses invested in generally speaking about 75% stocks, 25% bonds. And according to historical data, that should have you set up for life. That money should last you for the rest of your life. For Bruce Wayne, if his net worth is on the low end of $9 billion, that means the 4% rule would give him $360 million to spend per year. And he should theoretically never run out of money. So yeah, that is easily going to fund him being Batman. He could afford like the initial outlay of all the upfront expenses, and then on $360 million a year, he could easily afford all these other expenses. He could replace a heck of a lot of grappling hook guns with $360 million a year. That's pre-tax, obviously, but still, it's going to be enough. Yeah, I think he's got it made. I think he's doing all right. So Bruce Wayne, he has a lot of money, as we just mentioned, and he has a role to play in his community and his society. In the movie, we hear a candidate for mayor or, uh, give him some, some of her thoughts. Bruce Wayne, why haven't you called me back? I'm sorry. I'm Bella Royale. I'm running for mayor. I wouldn't be bothering you here, but your people keep telling me you're unavailable. Will you walk with me? Mr. Wayne. Mr. Wayne. You know... You really could be doing more for this city. Your family has a history of philanthropy, but as far as I can tell, you're not doing anything. If I'm elected, I want to change that. So I, I think this leads us into a discussion about whether being Batman is the best use of this enormous amount of wealth that the Wayne family, or now it's just Bruce Wayne, that he has. I mean, it's just him and his good buddy Alfred, like... $9 billion for one person, it is an insane amount of money. And as we heard in that first clip, he doesn't seem to care about preserving that wealth. He's not into 
you know, living a, a highfalutin lifestyle and like jet setting. I mean, being Batman is his splurging, right? He splurges on all these expensive toys, as the Joker calls them, but he he's not into like fancy clothes and fancy cars and fancy restaurants. Just, in fact, one of the things I think is interesting in this movie is that usually Wayne Manor is depicted as this incredibly beautiful mansion that's just like sparkling and gorgeous and everything is flawless. In this movie, like, holy cow, I would not want to live there. This place looks like the pits. It's kind of crumbling and it just looks like it's in a state of total disrepair. I mean, the whole movie is dark and gloomy, but Wayne Manor in particular seems like even darker and gloomier. So it does not seem like a lovely place to live in the few glimpses that we get at it. So yeah, I think she's doing the right thing by asking him to step up philanthropy-wise. Well, she's not asking him. She's really sort of saying that she's trying to push him there. Like if she's not asking him to volunteer. Anyway, like I, I just think her tone is inappropriate and just that's it's really rude. Uh, but uh, I don't think his Batmaning is actually helping. Right, like the city is still crime riddled and terrible. I don't know why um, he thinks all of his Batmaning is actually making a difference. It doesn't seem like it's improving the quality of life for the citizens there or anything. You're exactly right that he is not making much of a difference as Batman. I mean, he is one guy with a lot of expensive toys, but like to your point about wandering around and not running into that much crime, there's only so much that one human being can do. You can only be in one place at a time. With all his money, he hasn't invented like teleportation devices yet where he can just magically teleport to wherever a crime is happening. It's just not realistic that one person can make that big of a difference in terms of fighting crime on their own. So this makes me think of two things. One, uh, let's talk about the role of this rich individual as a philanthropist versus the role of government. And then two, it is clear that he wants to help. So could he do something other than Batmaning to make a difference? So that first item, and I, this is probably an unpopular opinion. I think we have it wrong as a society that we really push for substantial philanthropy. I think governments should exist to provide essential services to our communities. And I think when they don't have the revenues to do what they need to do, we shouldn't be asking for people to voluntarily tax themselves and the people who are most generous carry the load, I think we should revisit the revenue generation system that the government has and have a tax policy that sets you up to have the funding you need to go do the things that we value as a community, whether that's taking care of the poor, whether that's supporting the arts. These things are really important, and we should have enough tax revenue to go make that happen. And I know there are many people out there who believe that the best solution to a lot of these challenges in a community like poverty uh, is to rely on the generosity of others. But man, that just it's like a, our tipping system. It just doesn't make sense to me. If it's something that's important, let's bake it in. Let's have it there from the beginning and not rely on the choice of an individual or some sort of pressure. Let's let's come up with a reasonable system. And that, that's what I don't like. I don't want the mayor saying that she's going to strong arm somebody into paying this. Like, what about the other people who have money that she's not talking to? Why, why don't we just build a system where you pay enough and, and we gather the resources we need as a community to take care of the problems that we're trying to solve. And then if you have some pet issue that you really care about that isn't important to the community, 
you can go contribute to that and you can go give your money to it. But with the philanthropy driven world that we live in, only the issues that are sexy get money. Whatever people care about or have somebody knocking on doors about and asking wealthy people to give to or that will impress their wealthy friends gets the money. And that's not a reasonable system. We should have a more strategic approach to assigning where those resources go. And it disappoints me that our society hasn't you know, woken up to that yet. So I don't disagree with you at all. I think relying on the generosity of people is not a great system because people are generally fairly greedy, right? So I completely agree with you. And I think it's much better to have a system where we just collect the revenues that we need to take care of the people in a way that makes everyone feel good. I mean, I hate the thought that there's people out there who are hungry and cold and don't have just the basic necessities of life that they need. And I would much rather pay more in taxes and sleep better at night thinking that that's all taken care of as opposed to feeling like, well, we got to give away every dollar that we have because maybe we're the only people who will possibly do that. But then what about us? And, you know, we've got needs and we've got a long life to live. And the burden should be shared more evenly and consistently and not voluntarily. I completely agree with you. I think the place where you and I have a disagreement on this is you, you kind of feel like it exonerates individuals from giving because I feel like the government should force everyone to give. And if they're not going to do that, then I'm not going to give personally. That's the part that I don't agree with you on. I, I understand. I, I want the system to be better. And if we continue to have this piecemeal approach, it's never going to get better. So Batman, Batmaning, we agree, is not particularly helpful. So what should he be doing with this money? How could he make Gotham a better place? So yeah, I think this is a really interesting question is what should he be doing instead of spending it on all these wonderful toys, fun as they are to watch on screen. If it were in the real world, I think he would be far better off giving to causes specifically that are focused on young people like education and after school programs and making sure that kids have the opportunities that they need to grow up and really live rich, enjoyable lives and not struggle and not turn to a life of crime. Because that's that's really where it starts, right? For so many communities that we've seen in the real world, it's that youth issue that's the root of all problems, right? That's That's where you start your life. That's where you develop your morals. That's where you develop your sense of the world. And if we catch people at that early stage and make sure that they are well cared for and well loved and not struggling, then I think that will naturally slowly blossom into a much richer world. So yeah, it's it kind of makes me crazy when I see, as much as I love the movies, to see this like $18 million Batmobile that he's driving around in that could feed hundreds of kids and probably prevent them from turning into these horrible villains that he's having to fight in real time. So The social safety net in Gotham seems inadequate, and I'm sure that's what's driving so much crime inside the city and so much violence. In addition to supporting the youth and making sure that they're productive adults, I think doing something about homelessness or just general poverty would also be a welcome addition. Very much agree. I think you should be focusing on philanthropy. I I feel like Bella Royale, this candidate for mayor, is right on the money here. Like I think this is supposed to be kind of like an inside joke for the audience to kind of chuckle at, like, you should be doing more for this city. And we're like, oh, you don't know. He's doing so much for the city behind his mask. But I totally agree with her. I think she's right. Like being Batman 
is not doing nearly enough for the city and he could be making such a bigger difference in a totally different approach than trying to be this one-man cop who fights all crime in the city. Well, even if his approach isn't working, I think Batman has a pretty strong ethical drive. I think he has his like lines that he doesn't want to cross. Whereas Catwoman, a character in this movie uh, that Zoe Kravitz does a great job playing, I thought she did. She, I could understand what she was saying most of the time. So kudos <laughs> to her. Um, she doesn't necessarily have the exact same set of morals, and we hear about that a little bit in the movie. Your friend got involved with the wrong people. She didn't know any better. Maybe you should have explained it to her. What the hell is that supposed to mean? It means your choices have consequences. Jesus Christ. Choices? You know, whoever the hell you are, you obviously grew up rich. Was it worth it? What? Compromising yourself for money. What'd you have to do to set up that score? How close did you have to get to Penguin, to Falcone? You don't know what the hell you're talking about. Falcone owes me that money. He owes you? Yeah, and a lot more. No, really. Why is that? You know what? I can't even talk to you. No. I want to know why a guy like Falcone would owe you anything. Because he's my father! So I guess we should have said this is a little bit of a spoiler, the fact that the Falcone character is Catwoman's father. But honestly, it's kind of a minor plot point. You're, you're still going to have lots of twists and turns if you, if you see it. So, yeah, I think there's a couple interesting things to talk about in this clip. One is Catwoman saying to Bruce Wayne, Batman, sorry, that he obviously grew up rich because he's talking about her having like choices in life and she doesn't feel like she has a lot of choices as someone who doesn't have wealth. So one, this just makes my point for me that it would be pretty easy in this universe to go Batman, Bruce Wayne, Batman, Bruce Wayne. Both require <laughs> money. One has money. Hmm, this is interesting. Yeah, I think it's pretty easy to see that Batman has a lot of wealth. So yeah, she's noting that he obviously grew up rich, which she is on the money about. And I think she's right. When you have access to a lot of resources, it gives you a ton of options in life and you don't feel any kind of pressure whatsoever to turn to a life of crime. So I think that's one thing that is interesting about the whole Batman personality and dynamic is that he feels very righteous, but it's a heck of a lot easier to feel righteous when you don't want for anything. Yeah, I mean, this goes back to that first clip where Alfred talked about his family's legacy and what he's, what he's going to do to it. Um, most people don't think about things in those terms, right? You got, he had so many options with the resources at his disposal. He could do whatever he wants. And on a normal person's scale, we see this every day, right? Children that are born into homes that uh, don't face food insecurity, that don't struggle with the homelessness, they have more options in life and on average have better outcomes. So yeah, it's just a pretty inarguable point that wealth, especially wealth to the Wayne level of wealth, gives you a lot more options. This clip, what I really want to talk about is the idea that Catwoman's dad owes her money. I think that's really interesting too. A little bit of a backstory on that. Catwoman's dad has been a total deadbeat and as far as we can tell, like, didn't take care of her at all as a kid and was not in her life, even the slightest. So it sounds like he's a horrible person and a really terrible dad in particular. Parents do have an obligation to care for their children, right? They've brought them into this world without asking the kids if they wanted to be brought here. And they owe them love. They owe them the basic necessities until they're old enough to take care of themselves but beyond that, I think it's awful to, to feel like parents 
have some sort of obligation to like set their kids up, you know, to where they are totally financially good in life. They don't have to work or anything. I mean, I would argue that that's even a, a bad thing for parents to do, that it's really good for kids to strike out on their own and try to make it in the world and have that identity that belongs all to them. I think that's really important for a young person. Well, we have our court system that has the ability to calculate child support payments for parents to ensure that the children are taken care of. There's a mechanism to decide what that minimum amount of money is necessary to ensure that children grow up safely and securely. And anything more than that is personal choice, right? If we, if we want to take this to a ridiculous scale, go look at like the Warren Buffetts of the world. Uber wealthy, don't plan to leave very much to their children because that's just not the way they want to play it. And that's totally okay. And so her dad, who may have been a deadbeat father, had a responsibility to help raise her as a child. But once she was grown, like that opportunity was is gone. It's not like he owes her anything now. Um, it's crazy to think that that he should give her something no matter how much money he has today. And especially it seems like he's kind of, he's kind of a shady guy now. So I don't know why she thinks she's going to get something good out of his money today. Yeah. I mean, from so there's legally and then there's morally. And I think he probably, on a moral level, at least owes her like some kind of love and support as the dad that he never was to her when she was, was younger. But yeah, stealing money from him at this point is obviously not going to make things better. And I just as a general matter, not specific to this plot, but as a general matter, I think the idea that parents owe their adult children anything financially is pretty awful. And hopefully if you're a kid who loves their parents, you want them to enjoy their money to the fullest and, you know, I'll take care of me. You guys got me to the point where I can do that. And now I'm going to do that on my own and you guys enjoy your life to the fullest with the money that you worked hard for. That's how I feel about my parents. But my parents are a far cry from this Falcone character who were, you know, just total deadbeat and never did anything for her. So yeah, it's generally my approach that adult children are owed nothing by their parents. Well, not everyone in this movie had parents. So poor Bruce Wayne, he was an orphan. And I think we also learned that uh, Paul Dano's character, the Riddler, did not grow up with parents either. You want to play our last clip from the movie? You know, I was there that day. The day the great Thomas Wayne announced he was running for mayor, made all those promises. Well, a week later, he was dead, and everybody just forgot about us. All they could talk about was poor Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne, the orphan. Orphan, living in some tower. Over the park isn't being an orphan. Looking down on everyone with all that money. Don't you tell me. Do you know what being an orphan is? It's 30 kids to a room. 12 years old and already a dropout numbing the pain. You wake up screaming with rats, chewing your fingers. And every winter, one of the babies die because it's so cold. But oh no. Let's talk about the billionaire with the lying dead daddy because at least the money makes it go down easy. Da 
Oh, Baldiano is so good there. Okay, super quick clarification. He says a word there that's kind of hard to understand, the word drophead, which also may not be a word you know if you haven't seen the movie. It's, it's kind of like a meth head, sort of. It's like a, a kind of a drug that exists in this fictional universe. At least to the best of my knowledge, it's a fictional drug. I don't, we don't, don't hang out with a lot of drug dealers. I, pl- I plead the fifth. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is Paul Dano being the excellent Paul Dano that he always is and giving this super creepy speech about what it was like to grow up as an orphan. So my first point with this is like, good God, if this this is really going on. These conditions are this terrible for this many children. This is what Bruce Wayne should be doing with his money, right? Like what good is he doing flying around in his fancy bat plane when there are kids who are literally dying of the cold and rats chewing on their fingers? Well, Carla, if he's just donating money to an orphanage and running that, there won't be any bubbles that pop over him that say, bam, pow. Biff. Exactly. (laughs) So... Not the best movie product there. I suppose. But from a real world perspective, like, good God, this is this is where the money should be going. This is exactly what I was talking about, right? The youth of society. I mean, if you're growing up in these conditions, how do you not come out turning into the Riddler? You must just be the saddest, like, most depressed person ever. It's an, it's an awful, awful scenario that he's describing. Agreed. So I think we should talk a little bit about wealth disparity as it exists in the real world, because that's what Paul Dana's character is talking about here, right? Is you're up in your tower overlooking the park, which as we've already talked about, is actually not that nice of a house. But he's, I'm sure at one point it was really nice before it fell into disrepair. But yeah, he's in this fancy mansion and he doesn't have any idea what it means to be an orphan. Like, okay, your parents died, but you still had infinite resources. You had Alfred to look after you. Like, you were fine. I was the one who was actually struggling. I think the Riddler is trying to make the point here that society was really interested in the news story about this one wealthy kid and not about the everyday reality of babies dying every winter because the conditions were just so cold and dreadful. Yeah, it's more fun to think about this lonely boy in the castle. That's why we have the Batman movies and not like you know, umpteen iterations of Oliver Twist because it's just not as fun for people to to watch these things. So it's definitely a real phenomenon that people are fascinated by wealth and that's what they want to see. They want to see the fancy gadgets and they want the sexy storylines and the cool costumes with the million dollar masks. That's what's interesting to people, not this like, oh my God, this is reality that's actually happening. So in today's real America, there are about... 13% of the population that lives below the poverty line. The poverty line for a family of two is roughly $18,300 a year. So that's not a lot to get by on. And that's a pretty substantial portion of the population that's living in poverty today. That's worse than I realized. But on the plus side, that is down quite a bit. In 1959, that number was 23% who are living below an equivalent poverty line. So obviously the people who are living um, on the lowest end of the income spectrum, that's it's hard to stretch $18,000 to cover rent and transportation and food and healthcare. Although I do think at that low end of the spectrum on income, you're probably getting your healthcare fully subsidized under the Affordable Care Act, which is still in place today. 
by well you you would likely qualify for your state's medicaid program yeah exactly and you would probably also qualify for food assistance and maybe any other form of of government support yes for, for the destitute yeah that's true so it you would maybe be able to do a little bit better than that number suggests on its face alone with some additional help from other kinds of programs like Medicaid and and SNAP and possibly even like Section 8 housing. So we do have some social safety nets that are designed to make sure that you don't have people living in the kind of total horrible squalor that the Riddler is describing at this fictional orphanage. So... I I feel like that at least gives me some hope for the future and the fact that things are slowly getting better, that that number is going down with time. But it's still a huge disparity. And I think the statistic is that the top 1% of Americans have something like 76% of the wealth in America today, and the bottom 50% have 1% of the wealth. So it's quite the disparity And of course, you have people like Bill Gates and Elon Musk who are skewing that in a very large way, but still, it's a huge disparity. So with this wealth disparity, are there any consequences? I mean, I know you talked to me once before about your thoughts of this is what leads to revolutions, right? Like this is what causes people to storm the Bastille. Yeah, no, I think that's very true. If you get too large of a wealth disparity, and more importantly, I think if you have too low a standard of living at the bottom, then you're going to see the kind of revolts that we have seen in real history. Storming the Bastille, I think, is one of the better examples of it, or more well-known examples. And like we see in the movie, right, you've got this character, the Riddler, who is incensed by the poverty levels and just the general dystopia that he is living in, which he ascribes largely to the fact that the the lowest class is living in such terrible poverty. Yeah. Yeah. It's brutal. Well, I guess that's all I have on the show. I, I know this is setting the bar pretty low, but I hope you enjoyed this episode of Pennies and Popcorn more than I enjoyed the movie. <laughs> I will try not to make you watch anything you absolutely hate for a little while. I'll give you a little bit of a break. But if you are a fan of the Batman franchise overall, I think you should give this one a watch. It's really good. It feels much more realistic than some of the older Batman movies that we had in like the 90s and early 2000s. And they're just, they're doing a really good job with these, in my opinion. Joker, The Dark Knight, and this latest one, The Batman, are really, really good. So if you like Batman, definitely don't miss this one. Get a lot of popcorn and get ready to settle in because it is a full three hours, but I think you'll enjoy it. And be on your best behavior. Watch out for those baseball Batman. The baseball Batman are coming. Okay. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll catch you next time. Take care.